Okay, let's, oh, it is amazing. So, this is my third time preaching and the first time that we've gotten the microphone to work and the iPad to talk to the screens. It's going to be a good day, brothers and sisters. (laughs) Some of us have been worried about this. This guy. So, I'm Joe Stenkamp. I am uh, the artist formerly known as the Rookie Elder here at church. Um, For those of you who are visiting, I apologize already that we don't have our ace uh, preacher up here today. But I hope we can uh, all learn something together from the Word of God. Um, Please pray with me right now. Oh, Lord, as we come together this weekend, so many people uh, from our church gone away to visit family, so many other family members coming to visit people here. Lord, I know it's a busy weekend. Father, I pray that you would calm all of our hearts. You would quiet all of our minds for the next 45 minutes or so, that we would concentrate on you and not on getting the boat ready or doing the barbecue or having the party or whatever is going to be happening later on today. Father, we thank you for this beautiful place you've given us and for this beautiful day that we have to celebrate you. Amen. So, even though we read the whole parable of the sower, and thank you, Vicki, for doing that, I'm just going to concentrate on the first three verses today. Um, Those of you who have been coming here know that we've been speaking from the book of Matthew for the last two years, and we're going to continue to go through it a little bit at a time. Um, As Doc has said, there's a lot to be learned from these parables, and we should not gloss through them and skim through them thinking we know what it means, but immerse ourselves in them. Each and every word that has been preserved for us for thousands of years has meaning. So I'd like to delve into just the first three verses and see what we can get out of that. So here we talk about Jesus just wanting to go out for a walk. All of a sudden a crowd shows up and he starts preaching. What the heck can we learn from that? He went out on a boat to preach to a crowd on a beach. Can we learn something from that? He talked about a farmer throwing seeds around on the ground. What can we learn from that? Now, I promise you, brothers and sisters, we will be going through the whole parable over the next few weeks. But I would just like to concentrate on those three questions this time. Just the setting of the story, how it unfolded before he even began to speak. Because I think there is something in there that we all need to learn. So, first of all, the setting. This was on the Sea of Galilee. Um, And I made a comparison of the Sea of Galilee and the Prineville Reservoir, which is the largest body of water around here. Um, I was surprised to find out that Prineville Reservoir is actually longer than the Sea of Galilee. 
But of course, the Sea of Galilee is much, much wider. It is a much bigger body of water. That said, um, the picture on the right is from our house, and uh, you can see it's full. So for those of you who have been praying, once again, we know that the Lord answers our prayers. It is so amazing to, to see how fast it filled up. So more important than that is let's get back to Jesus' time and where Jesus was. Um, you can see up in the circle up there. Um, yeah, okay, there we go. Capernaum is up there. That's where he was staying. But the lore and legend of the people there uh, placed the sermon as being taken place here. The Cove of the Sower. It's been known as that for about 1,500 years. We don't know for sure that's where Jesus gave this sermon, but it's almost irrelevant to the story. Uh, probably more important is all around the Sea of Galilee, there are lots of fields. This was a rich agricultural area in Jesus' day, as it is today. So, um, we can presume that Jesus started talking about farming because the people that he was speaking to knew about farming. We can presume that the crowd that followed him was a pretty big crowd that consisted of farmers and fishermen and people from the synagogue, the religious leaders. And as uh, we talked about a year ago, even Roman soldiers were likely in the crowd. So he's talking to a very diverse audience. How the heck do you give a sermon, teach a lesson that would mean something to each and every person? As far as why would he teach on the water? Uh, just a little war story. Those of you who know me know I'm a soldier, so every time you hear war story, you can take what you want to from that. But um, we moved here almost six years ago. Um, August 11th, 2017, we moved into our house. Anybody remember what happened on August 21st, 2017? I heard it. The eclipse. The big solar eclipse. Big time. Ten days after we moved in. So we were going to enjoy the eclipse from our deck overlooking the water. And before you know it, a float plane came and landed on the lake. I'm sorry. There we go. Landed down here and then taxied up into this cove here called Roberts Bay. And they anchored there to watch the eclipse. As the sun started getting darker and darker, everything got quiet. The birds stopped singing, and we could hear people down there from that float plane talking. That's a mile and a half away from our house, 500 feet below our house. 
their voices carried up to our house. So I think that might be a clue as to why Jesus got into a boat to talk to people on the shore. The voice just carries so well. Jesus didn't have the microphone and the speakers, but he had people who were silent and listening to him. What better way for his voice to reach everybody? So, one of the things we can learn from this is Jesus talked to people wherever he was. He just wanted to go sit on the beach. A crowd shows up, he's ready to talk to them. Uh, those of you who remember Luke chapter 2, even when Jesus was only 12 years old, his parents left him behind in Jerusalem and tried to find him. They went back and found him in the temple, age 12, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Later on, as we go through the Gospels, we see that Jesus is teaching in synagogues, in churches. We see him teaching in the fields. We see him teaching on the mountains. We see him leading people to uh, heaven in houses, on beaches, even at a well. He spoke to people wherever he met them. So, how did he teach? Number one, again, he was always ready. Number two, he met people where they were. And I don't mean just geographically, as we've uh, just talked about. He met people where they were spiritually as well. I uh, found a nice commentary by a lady named Grace Ruder. Jesus himself adjusted the way he shared the gospel depending on who he was speaking to. When you watch Jesus in the gospels, he does not give the same stump speech to everyone he meets. He pays attention to them and embodies the parts of the gospel they most need. When he was touched by the woman who was suffering from bleeding, Jesus discerned that she needed both physical healing and to be seen and honored. When Jesus met the rich young ruler, he knew that the man most needed to be freed from the suffocating idol of financial security. When Jesus met the woman at the well, he knew that she was longing for freedom from the stigmas that had been placed on her. For each of those cases, These individuals' felt needs were where Jesus started the conversation about the good news that he offered. So, brothers and sisters, the question for us is, what does this little part of the story from 20 centuries ago mean to us? How can we apply what we learned in this three short passages, Verses to our lives today. Here's a reminder of FBC Prineville's mission statement. 
we exist to be a people who embody and proclaim the life-giving fullness of the gospel. If you're sitting here, if you're a regular attender, that's us. We want to be a people who do this. It's our mission. And if you've ever been in the army, you know mission is pretty important. Um, Two parts to this. Embodiment has a couple of different meanings that uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about. One of it is uh, being a visible witness. We are to show the gospel to others by the way we live. But maybe even more important than that, another meaning of embody is to contain the gospel. Make it a part of who we are. So, for the rest of the sermon, I'd like to concentrate more on our mission to proclaim or speak to others. Of course, no mission statement would be complete, and Dr. Noer would beat me up after this sermon if I didn't talk about Matthew 28, 18-20, known as the Great Commission. Um, being a retired soldier, I would read this in that day as being a direct verbal order from the commander-in-chief to those who were following him. So, 2,000 years later, how are we to read it? We have to read it as a direct written order to us because that mission has not changed even to the end of the age. So a passage that actually means a little bit more to me, is more personal to me about why we should share the gospel, is this. How will they then call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Brothers and sisters, all of you who are sitting here, all of you who are watching online should take this very, very seriously. If there are people in your life who have not heard the gospel of our Lord and Savior, how can we rest in peace? How can we sleep at night knowing that they have not heard of our Lord and Savior and what he has done for us. Shouldn't we be the ones who at least love them enough to speak to them of what we know? Now, I know it's hard. I know sitting out there among you are some shy introverts who have trouble sharing the gospel. I know because I was one. I'm trying to get better. (laughs) I'm a repentant introvert, if you will. But it is tough trying to figure out how to start that conversation. How to build up the courage to talk. So I'd like to concentrate on that and maybe help us to get a couple of hints and tips Over the last few months, I've been convicted by a couple of different sources 
Um, on the left there is a, a video series called The Engagement Project. Um, a couple of our home communities have gone through it. I highly recommend it. Um, Dr. Del Tackett, the guy who did the Truth Project, um, leads it. The gist of that one is that um, this is the great and first commandment, and second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And Dr. Tackett goes through uh, a lot of what that means to us. And part of the, the really tricky part is, in the original Greek, your neighbor means people who live close to you. Can you imagine? This Greek is not so hard, I guess. Um, but the greater part of it is, what does it mean to love your neighbor? It means being sacrificially in love with them, caring more about their well-being than your own. It means reaching out to them, building relationships with them. Another part of uh, the one of the lessons was, you are not here by accident. Whatever your address is, God puts you there. I love hearing stories of how people have come to Prineville and why and where from, or stories of how people have grown up here and have always had the same neighbors. Either way, it is no accident. You are surrounded by the people you're surrounded by. And part of the reason for that is because we are called to reach them. Um, The second one is a a book on the right. We just uh, went through this in War Council, our men's ministry. And it took us a few months to go through this book, The Master Plan of Evangelism. Um, The introduction to the book was written by a guy named Billy Graham. Uh, I think some of you have heard of him. Um, Billy Graham's introduction is, instead of drawing on the latest popular fad or newest selling technique, Dr. Coleman has gone back to the Bible and has asked one critical question. What was Christ's strategy of evangelism? So that's why I wanted to concentrate on the first three verses of the parable this time. I think that gives us some insight as to how Christ himself did it. Dr. Coleman goes on to say that Jesus' grand plan, God's grand plan for taking over the world was to do it one person at a time. Jesus, when he was here, concentrated on a dozen people. Even though he talked to thousands, he really concentrated on teaching and training a dozen guys to spread the word. He led by example. He showed them how to do it. He sent them out to do it. They came back, did after-action reports, what we'd call in the army, to say who did what right and who did what wrong and what can we learn from that. Um, Again, in War Council, we try to do the same things for each other. We try to disciple one another how better to share the word. So again, that's that's a pretty good book. So I think step one, lesson one for all of us, 
that I would really, really like to talk about today is this verse from 1 Peter. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I think that's the key, brothers and sisters. Before you ever have a conversation with anybody else, know in yourself why you are who you are. Why is knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, important to you? How has he changed you? Somebody asks you why you are the way you are, have a reason. Be ready with an answer. If we are living the life that the Lord calls us to live, Mike talked about this uh, a couple of months ago, we will be different. We will stand out. People will see our integrity or our joy or our hope in the face of any kind of adversity. They'll see our generosity and care for others. They will see us putting other people's needs above our own. If we are living that way, somebody is going to ask, why? Be ready to have an answer. So I confess to you that that was a lesson I had to learn the hard way. Probably 15 years ago, um, when I was really starting to really be obedient and really trying to walk with the Lord, I had a great life. I was married to the most wonderful helpmate in the whole wide world, um, somebody who loved me con- unconditionally and um, saw a better man in me than I saw in myself. We were going to a great church, wonderful teaching, wonderful music, just a joy every time we would go to church. We were serving in a couple of different ministries in the church. We were in what we would call a home community of loving, caring people. Just life was good. We were doing community projects, reaching out to others. Life was good. My life was full. My life was joyful. And um, this was after I had retired from the Army and I was working for a company in New Jersey. And New Jersey is very, very unfriendly to Christianity. Um, At the time, there were lawsuits going on about kids who wanted to pray at the flagpole in front of the school before school. And they were being taken to court because of the separation of church and state. We just don't talk to people about God because the state doesn't want us to. So I was kind of steeped in that. Even though I was 
enthusiastic and, and loved and loving and caring and obedient as I could possibly be, um, one day somebody who worked for me, a, a lady at work, came to me and said, Joe, there's something different about you. There is something kind about you. And so I took a deep breath and I said, Thank you, Sandy. Brothers and sisters, I regret that moment to this day. I hadn't learned this simple lesson yet. So, I want to be a warning to you. Don't be that guy. Learn from my mistakes. Just be ready to share whenever the chance arises. So, we all have people that we can have an influence on. If you love them, be ready to share. If you love them, find ways to share. Again, it is our mission. Look deep inside. Again, I know there are shy introverts out there. But you are still called to proclaim the life-giving fullness of the gospel. Please do. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for placing us here at this time, surrounding us with people who love us and people who we love. Please help us to reach them for you. Please help us not neglect telling them about you and condemning them to endless punishment. Father, we need to love them more than that. Amen. So we're about ready to go into a time of communion. Um, You'll see stations in the front, stations in the back, where we can share the bread that represents the body of our Lord that was broken for us, and the juice that represents the blood of our Savior who was slain for us. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, please partake of the meal, whether you're a member here or not. If you are a believer, do this in obedience to him. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, please talk to somebody around you. I suggest going to the back of the bulletin. The elders and the deacons are all there. Make contact. Please do reach out and find the hope that those of us who have Jesus have as well. Thank you.